Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Carroll, and this is What Do I Know? I've always been interested in prophecy, especially the ones that have already been fulfilled. I find they are very useful for strengthening believers and can be quite helpful when we're witnessing to the lost. So my interest always perks up when I come to a passage of scripture that speaks about things to come. In my studies, I came across this certain passage of scripture in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathered together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as it was from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes opposes and exalts themselves above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you about these things? Now, Paul's talking about the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this particular passage of Scripture I have found can become quite volatile among believers. One of the reasons is because of our understanding of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 36, that no man knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man. But obviously Jesus himself gave us signs of when we would know it would be near. And Paul was doing the same thing in this passage. What I would like to talk about is the first part of verse 3. The part that says, let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come until the apostasy comes first. Now, it's this apostasy that I would like to discuss with you. Now, your Bible might even use the word rebellion or fallen away, but both of these words are translated from the Greek word apostasia. So what does that mean? Well, the Strong's Concordance 646 says that it means to fall away from or to forsake the truth or true religion. Now, we as Christians know that the truth in the word of God is the basis for all truth. I actually like the way Jordan Peterson put it when he explained it to Joe Rogan on his podcast. He said that the Bible was the fundamental basis for all truth. It couldn't be any other way. It was more true than just true. Now, we as Christians already know that because God can only be true, right? Therefore, his word can only be true. The word is the revelation of God, who is Jesus Christ, and not just physically or spiritually, but textually in Scripture. We know that the true religion we used in our Bible is the Christian faith. We can also understand that the religion or truth that the apostasy has taken root in is the Christian community. Why do I believe Paul is talking about the church? Is because you cannot very well fall away from something you never had. I mean, who receives the truth? The believers. And we know that from many of the New Testament writings that this actually started back then. You know, while the, while the apostles were still alive. I mean, this caused them to write letters to correct behaviors and to complete their understanding and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, I'm sure it don't take a great leap of faith or probably very much convincing for any one of you to see that the opposition to the Christian faith is becoming more and more evident. More and more churches are abstaining from preaching from the entire word because of it. We, the believers, are being branded as the enemy 
They see Christians as promoters of hate and bigotry. They say we are homophobic. We're instigators and haters of anything we see as different. Ours is a form of hate speech. And that we call for separation and exclusion from them. Now this has led some of our Christian communities to seek to change the idea, to change the way they see us. They seek to accept all who come and not judge and call out their sin, but to show them love and acceptance. Jesus himself hung out with sinners and not the religious people. He called them a brood of vipers, and they see us much the same way. They have called the world Christ by looking just like the world. And they say, we all sin, therefore there is no difference between sinners and and believers. And Christ died for all, so who are we to judge? And how are they supposed to come to hear about Christ, of his love and sacrifice, if we run them off by preaching about their sin? And what is the love of Jesus if not forgiveness, for acceptance? And now we fill the seats of a lot of churches today with people who flock in to hear about the abundance and the prosperity Christ can give us. I mean, some of our most famous preachers teach that we can have it all right here and right now, heaven on earth, if we simply ask for it and believe. And what's worse is they call this God's design. I mean, they take phrases from the Bible and they twist them all around. And they tell us what our craving ears want to hear. Is this biblical half-truth or just plain out lies? I ask you this. What do people need a Savior for if they aren't in need of saving? And what are we trying to save them from if not their sin? How can people be brought to repentance if they see no reason to repent? Have we fallen so far from the truth that it's become indiscernible from the lies? Have we scrambled God's words in people's minds so much that we've completely distorted the truth? We actually heard about the beginning of this in 2 Peter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, but there will be fa- there was also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now, this is like saying that there's more than one way to get into heaven. When they when they deny sovereign Lord, when they deny Jesus, they're saying that there's more than one way to get into heaven. It goes on to say, they bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their combination has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Well, what destructive heresies is Peter talking about here? And what depraved conduct that it has brought the way of truth into disrepute? Well, we know that Second Peter is believed to be written between 65 and 68 AD. And that was over 1900 years ago. It makes you wonder. Did some of these heresies Did some of this depraved conduct become some of our regular Sunday morning sermons? Remember, they had Peter and Paul, among others back then, to call out false teachers. What do we have? Who do we have? 
who's the authority in our time that we can rely on to give us the actual truth. Now, if a name popped up into your head, I would ask you, when did that person become Jesus to you? Because we have the word of God. But we must follow everything that it teaches us. Because it's the authority. Now, I've actually heard someone say, how can we even trust the Bible that has not been corrupted? And I would love to tell you that's easy. God protects his word. But God in his love and provision know that the world would need some convincing, that they would need some proof. So he provided you a way. And we know that scholars use the oldest manuscripts and writings to validate the new ones. To see if anything had been changed. And we know that no one government or religion has control of this because many countries have their share of writings. The originals were copied by the ones who were given, right? And then they sent out those copies to other groups who did the same thing. And this this went on and on throughout history. Some churches taking it on themselves to, to copy all the scriptures, some in different languages. And we use the oldest text to validate the new ones to see if they had been corrupted. Now, you might ask, well, what if the older ones were corrupted? And I guess that could have been possible, but you'd have to find all the copies, right? Find them all and then burn those, get rid of those. And then you have to rewrite it to say what you want it to say. But what happens when you discover ancient texts like we did in the Dead Sea Scrolls? It would be kind of hard to explain ancient texts not matching modern, modern day writings, would it not? We know all these scrolls and manuscripts were wrote before 70 AD. And a lot of them are a lot older. And we can prove this by Israel's own history. The Roman army was sent to destroy Masada, which was the last Jewish stronghold. After it destroyed Jerusalem, which we know historically happened in 70 AD. Well, on its way to Masada, it had to travel through Qumran. Now there in Qumran was a religious sect that was well known for their study and copying and authenticating the scripture. Now, when this group heard that the army was coming, they hid these scriptures in caves. I'm sure because they knew they were going to get raided and they probably thought that once the army passed by, they could go back and retrieve them. But they were wiped out to the last man. Not one was left standing. And these scriptures wouldn't be found again until 1947. Now, what happens when they when these copies were compared to what we have now? Well, they prove that God's word is held even after 2,000 years of man's meddling. And you may say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? And I'd tell you the same thing. God protects his word. But shouldn't you be asking instead, how, if we have God's word, can we fall far from the truth? Well, I believe to understand that, we have to look at the very nature of man. And we can do that by looking at the first man, Adam. What did he do in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12? When God challenged him on why he ate the fruit, he said, it was the woman whom you gave me. He was basically blaming God for giving him the woman. And then he blamed the woman who who was supposed to be there to help him. He didn't wish to be held accountable for his actions. And we find that we as men, we're no different. We don't want to be blamed for sinning because we were born sinners. 
We say we can't help but to sin. It's in our very nature. And obviously that if we can't be blamed, then also we can't be trusted. Especially in it with our salvation. That very nature leads us to grab any scripture we can that will free us from any responsibility. Let's look at Paul, the great evangelist. Now, he is credited with 14 books out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Well, we know that's just over half. Half the New Testament. And what does Peter say about Paul's writings? Well, let's look at 2 Peter 3.14. It says, so then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, he is speaking about the coming of Christ, as we all look forward to that. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Now here he's talking about Paul's teachings of God's patience to give everyone the chance to repent and come to the knowledge of Christ. Since he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Now, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people use and distort to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. Now, we see here, Peter both validates Paul, his writings, and his ministry. But he also calls into attention that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand and they're being taken out of context or just misinterpreted. Well, which parts? Do we know? Well, Peter didn't elaborate here, but is that why some of the churches today have stopped preaching from the Old Testament? Saying that its teachings have nothing to do with the new covenant of Christ. Well, if that were true, why did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scriptures God breathed? and is useful for instruction, for conviction, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. We know that the Old Testament is the scripture that Paul's referring to. I mean, even Jesus himself quoted the Old Testament. He referenced it when even when he was tempted by the devil. How can we understand the new without being grounded in the old? I had someone recently tell me, that the first books of the New Testament were the apostles learning. You know, as they grew in understanding, their writings changed. And that's why you have to take them in context to know where they were given. Well, do what? Let me ask you a question. When Christ opened their minds to the scriptures, do you think it took them years to understand what Christ done in an instant? Did it take the lame man years to learn to walk when Peter prayed and Christ healed him? No, he jumped and ran for joy. Stop justifying your understanding when it doesn't align with all scripture. It's we who are wrong and his word is right. For his word says, let God be true and every man be a liar. Now I know that our time here grows short because the falling away from the truth is nearly complete. God's word said it, it would. And if we the church can step back for just a moment from our denial, and open our eyes, we too could be convinced and change our ways. That we could actually follow this verse in Second Chronicles 7 and 14. That if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, that I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. God's love is forgiveness, but we must turn from our wickedness. 
We got to seek his face and pray. We so often forget that God wants us to repent, to turn from our sin. I mean, what does repentance mean? Repentance is to agree with God that what we have done is wrong. To change what and how we are living to reflect what he says is true and right. It means to agree, to change, and to come in line with God's word. That's repentance. You say that again. To agree, to change, and to come in line with God's word. What it doesn't mean is that we feel bad, so we, we ask forgiveness. And we try real hard for a little while until that feeling goes away and then we go right back to our sin. We knew we were going to go back to our sin. That's not, you're not repenting if you know you're going to go back to it. If you intend to go back to it. To repent means to change, to, to know that you have done wrong, to never want to go back and do it again. If you do, it's not because you desire to do so. It's because you failed. And we repent again. To repent means to, con- to continue, to, to stay away from, to, to change. I find that more and more of my teachings come from a place of correction instead of love. I feel like the book of Jude, he too wanted to talk about the hope that we both share in the gospel, but was driven instead to tell you to contend earnestly for the faith. I know that most of the teachings we have come from a good place. I mean, most of them are meant for new Christians who struggle with, with cleaning their life up after coming to know Christ. I mean, we all share this experience. I know that the struggle continues even after we grow and come to know Christ more and more. But we must not, we must not distort these teachings. And use them to make sin okay in our lives. Because we're not, it's not. It's not okay. We must persevere even though we often fail. I mean, that's the part of picking up your cross and denying yourself. The one we all must bear for our belief in Christ. This is not supposed to be easy. I mean, Jesus tells you himself, he says, count the cost before you start. No one sets out on a journey without first counting the cost to make sure that they have the endurance to make it to the end. But for those who do, it will lead to everlasting life. It's important to understand that faith comes in when we don't think we have enough endurance to make it. Grace comes in when we find we don't. It picks us back up. It dusts us off. It encourages encourages us that God's got this. And he is able to keep us from failing if we endure. I wanted to tell you that when I first started this podcast, I had to stop. I had to redo it. I came at this very hard with many scriptures denouncing what I felt was wrong. Wrong with some of the directions and teachings we have at our churches today. To do my best to bring people back to the hope and endurance we have in Jesus. I mean, I was worried that after I wrote it, that my words may have hurt or may hurt some of those who are new in the faith that might actually listen to me. I didn't want to lay too heavy of a burden on shoulders not equipped yet to carry the weight. So I toned it down. It's my hope that I get the message out, but not put a stumbling block in front of new believers. It's also important that you know 
that just because we gathered together the way we do now, it wasn't meant to be that way from the start. The gathering together as the body was never meant to preach to the lost. It was meant to build and encourage the body of believers. And then once built up and encouraged, then they could go out and minister to the lost. I think that's why some of the churches today have such a hard time preaching from the whole word of God. They're doing what I just did. They're toning it down for the sake of those who don't know Christ yet. When we use the assembly as the only means to win the loss, we have defeated the purpose of gathering together in the first place. I mean, we should all be worshiping God every day. We should all be singing praises to God every day. But this is not just the reason why we come together as a body. And those things are great. But it's the hearing of the word and the building of the body that's why we come together. And if we're going to build the body, we must build it with, with the right material, with the right structure. I mean, how is it going to stand against the storm if we don't? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this right here. But one last thing before I go. We need to start... We need to start changing our and correcting our definitions. Too often this world is using words out of context. They're taking words that don't mean something and they're saying that they mean something different. Completely changing the definition of the word and its meaning. And we're doing the same thing in our churches today. Worship is not singing praises. That's praise. We can worship and we can praise, but they're not the same thing. To worship means to bow down, to put God above you. Christ himself says that God, he seeks worshipers that worship him in, worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worshipers God seeks. So we need to, we need to get on our spiritual faces and bow down and put God back on the throne of our lives. This is Isaac Carroll signing out. Until next time. Goodbye.